Thanks for listening. <laughs> Please. Um, uh, it's your money. Thank you. Doing great. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I want to say one more thing that's really important. Thirty-two listeners, listen. Do you like what you're hearing? Then please go down to the show notes right now and click on the Venmo of Sonia Berg, our amazing producer. Because Sonia sits and listens to it. If you think these episodes are long, you better understand that they're like twice as long. <laughs> they're out of order, and we ask a lot of things to be redacted. <laughs> And so please just throw five dollars, seven dollars, ten dollars, five hundred dollars. Fifty dollars. Please. Okay, we're not we have no sponsorships. <laughs> and we are happy to bring this to you for the love of Sonia, send $5 on Venmo to our producer, okay? This show is a series of conversations amongst really good friends. We come from different generations and have different life situations. And those situations are even changing as we record this. We decided when we began that this might be a helpful conversation for others to be a part of. So we offer this to you as a gift. In the words of Dr. Adrian Keene, we have decided to consent to learn in public with you. We intend to be mindful, authentic, and responsible with our words. But we also expect to mess up and learn through this conversation. Take a look at America today. I wish I could give you better news. That I am suspending my campaign. 300 delegates behind Vice President Biden. And all those little girls. We're going to have to wait for more years. And the path toward victory is virtually impossible. For some of these other candidates to get behind Joe Biden. I'm looking forward to getting started as soon as we can. Hello, my name is Ari. I use he, him, and they, them pronouns. And I like when people use both. That's how I have to start every conversation I have. Because I just started my first week at college at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Which is already proving to be classist and racist in its own ways. I'm having a pretty fun time. I'm currently drawing a lot of lizards. I recently took uh, the Pottermore test and found out that I am a Hufflepuff and that my Patronus is a horse. I'm really unhappy about the second one. I think JKR is being transphobic with me. I'm Julia. I'm 18 years old. Uh, about to not be anymore, which is well, I don't know how I feel about that. I am a city or volunteer, which means I wear a uniform that sometimes has the American flag on it. But more importantly, means that I am serving in an elementary school on the south side of Chicago and providing um, support for the teacher and um, for the students with attendance, social-emotional learning, and academic performance. And we just finished our first week of virtual school, which was challenging and also um, it's a thing that is functioning, I guess. I live on occupied territory, sacred to many people, um, especially uh, the Potawatomi Peoria in Miami, and I am a person of European descent. I also do political lobbying when I'm not volunteering for City Year because I'm not allowed to do those things at the same time. Hi, I'm Dan Giles. I am white adjacent, multiracial, um, half Asian, half European. I am a registered Democrat, but I'm on like leftist TikTok, which is, you know, maybe trying to convince me that I should just like t burn down the system. I don't know. I do science. It's full of privilege for all of my identities. It's great. I live with Addie Domsky. I have, use he, him pronouns. <laughs> Hello, my name is Addie Domsky. I use pronouns like she and her. I identify as a white woman. I found out I was white when I got to grad school. It was a shock. <laughs> uh, I thought I was Scottish before then. I still heavily identify with my Scottish ancestry and not with my Eastern European one, which is a mystery to me. I recently adopted a tiny old dog who's got two teeth. So we have like seven pets with a collection 
like collectively all of them together have like five teeth <laughs> because some of them are reptiles and two of them are mammals that have had teeth removed and he is old and cute <clears throat> i live in california which is currently on fire and it's very surreal and it is sad and it's hard to breathe outside how are we feeling about the state of the world friends it's been a minute since we talked like for this since we recorded first of all i think this is like we did talk once before but this is kind of like the first time since we have you know accrued our audience of 32 faithful listeners <laughs> and um i actually want to look and see how many because i think it's Sunny. Also, like, maybe we can't even have anything because Sonia has no software anymore. I'm going to try to get Sonia in on my SAIC stuff because, like, Lord knows I hate Photoshop and Adobe software. I don't do computers, so I can pro- I can see if I can get them in off of my credentials. Okay, we have an established audience size of 32 faithful people, and we have 257 total plays. Woo! So many more than I ever thought would ever happen. That's like 31 more than I ever thought we were going to have. And the one was just going to be like, um, Ronnie. We each have eight friends, guys. So that is interesting that, that some people are listening to us. So I feel like we should talk about that. And then um, I have a whole Lovecraft Country analogy I'd like to go down. But if you want us to ask... For audience participation like who are these people i have no idea <laughs> oh i meant can people like dm us their questions and then we can discuss them here oh like... yeah they can dm us for mm-hmm. sure and they can also go to our public site on anchor which i can post the public link to in the show notes and <laughs> um you can record a little message for the peeps it says message them wow oh that's a that's fun yeah go to anchor.fm slash podcast productions <laughs> i will say that like i think most people are listening on apple and spotify right but i mean we can yeah they're not going to be listening on anchor but we can post the link and then they can send us a voice message which would just be funny okay um, do you want me to go into my lovecraft thing yes please do that go i want to hear your lovecraft country thing because i haven't watched it yet well, I wonder if maybe our friend Sonia can pull up a little bit of N.K. Jemison talking about it because N.K. Jemison's amazing um, sci-fi writer, and um, if you've never heard of H.P. Lovecraft, he's kind of like the father of the horror genre, and he would be in the tier of racist people um, looking for a trophy, <laughs> like his cat was named the N-word. That's just like a little bit about H.P. Lovecraft. So, and I've, I've been rereading some of the stories that I got at Pals a while ago. Like, he, he wrote short horror stories. Um, and I've already seen the N-word used, like, not, like, not any, like, you know, it's not like a Mark Twain type of N-word, which is, like, the excuse that teachers give. But it's, like, I want to use this word right now. And a lot of his horror was created around literally dark people being monsters. Like, but he created the genre of horror. So if you think of, like, a mansion that has spooky stuff or like tentacled creatures this is very lovecraftian so then there's this show on hbo based on a book that is a very interesting reclamation maybe of um the genre um influenced by media like well i don't know when this book was written but it's on hbo now i think part in part because of movies like get out and N.K. Jemison is awesome and is a black woman, and she talks about what it's like to, she, like, the person interviewing her for the New Yorker radio hour that I was listening to was like, well, do you just get rid of Lovecraft? Like, everything we've talked about, like, do you just get rid of the person? And she, I don't want to misquote her because I think Sonia should just, like, play it, <laughs> because she says perfectly how the tension of, like, leaning in to someone who's bad and being like, they're bad. <laughs> and then I'm gonna create something in a in, within and despite and out of this badness, and that's really interesting. And I don't want to say it for myself. I would like you to listen to it. It's good art. It's good art, even though it has this undeniably horrific component to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's 
it's, you know, I mean, I, I'm not good at sort of analyzing my own work, but um, with Lovecraft, the, the balance and the, the struggle is always between appreciating the fact that there's some good stuff here. He does some incredible imagery. It's powerful work, but it's frightening. And it's frightening not always for the reasons that he meant it to be frightening. It's frightening because it's a way to look into the mind of a true bigot and realize just how alien their thinking is, just how disturbing their ability to dehumanize their fellow human beings is. This man literally saw the people of New York as monsters. So that's what I decided to write against. And so what do you think as a society or community of readers the response to Lovecraft should be today? To to put it in a box and and send it down to the bottom of the sea? There's too much to learn from examining that tension between the power and the impact of the art and realizing where that art comes from and what the, the impetus behind that art is. The best way to engage with twisted or otherwise problematic art, in my opinion, is to first off acknowledge that that art has an impact, hurts people, and understand that engaging with it could perpetuate some of the harm that that art is is capable of doing. But flag it, warn it, put it off to the side where people, you know, can engage with it at their leisure, at their choice, or at a point where they're strong enough or capable of doing so, but then engage with it. Mm There's a line between respecting the work and honoring the person. What's it like to be a black woman writing sci-fi and being influenced by H.P. Lovecraft, who started and contributed a lot to that genre? And how do you work within that while she was like... Well, it's like it's like black people trying to work in any field. Like, every field is essentially full of racists. But, like, we we aren't going to say that black people should not work in different fields um because of the history of racism because that would be another form of like just exclusion and making it so that it was harder for people to participate in systems oh well there's something i wanted to talk to you guys about like yesterday and then today happened and now i can't remember what that was because today is like a thing so (laughs) this morning I was very sad in my sleep. I was just like, I don't want to wake up and do anything that I'm supposed to do. I'm tired. So that's how I was feeling. Then I heard some yelling outside. And then I was like, hmm, I'm tired. I went back to sleep. And later I was informed that University of Chicago police, who... um, The University of Chicago students, um, some of them are organized in this group called Care Not Cops, and they just occupied the UFC Provost house um, for a week. They camped out there, they had rallies, um, they ended with a march. It was really powerful. Um, To get the the UFC to get a public meeting about it. (laughs) Well, just for context, U Chicago has the largest private police force in the country. So they have a demand to disfund it by 50% and then eventually just abolish it. Um, and then to redirect, like to invest in, um, to invest that money in local grassroots organizations. Um, and then also their other two demands were cultural centers for um, students of color in different groups. Um, and also um, ethnic studies, like college. Um, so those were the demands. The It was really powerful. I went there most of the nights and, like, dropped off food or just hung out. Um, they still have my cooler. I have to get that back somehow. Unless the cops took it. In that case, I'm not getting it back. Um, and it was cool. They built community. There was, like, a consistent group of, like, maybe 20 people. And then whenever I was there, there was probably 30 to 40 people there. Um, it rained. They got tarps. It was beautiful. Um, felt really safe on that street. Anyway, so we know that UCPD terrorizes people um, in our neighborhood. And not in our neighborhood, because they have a giant jurisdiction. Um, Anyway, so this morning, UCPD chased several 
African-American teenage boys into my backyard. And those boys hid in my backyard. And the police came and arrested them. So that was, like, there's just a lot of different things with that. Um, one of them is, like, what do we do when this comes to our doorstep, right? Um, because um, they asked to the black men that I lived with. My, they were out there with my dad, who was white, and they didn't really talk to my dad. But um, they asked, can, can we come inside? Because they were run, running from the police. and The kids asked that. The kids asked if they could come inside our house. And they said no. Um, and then... Ocean. Hmm? When the police did come, though, and asked, started to question them, my dad and the other two men I live with, they went inside so that they didn't have to incriminate anybody because they didn't want to, like... If they went inside, the police wouldn't bother them. So they, like, stopped. They didn't tell them that they were there. Um, that the guys were in the hiding. They just, like, were like, we're not engaging with you guys about this. We're not going to answer your questions. Um, and someone else was recording the interaction. Um, and, yeah, I mean, some of the reasons that people gave for, for not, you know, letting them in was, um, they don't know if they were armed. They don't know if the police would have followed them in the house and then chased them through the house. Like, um... They didn't know if they'd done something that then we could get in trouble for harboring a fugitive. Like, in that situation, you'd think that as people who weren't involved in whatever happened before, we would have power to, like, do something off a refuge. But then that's the thing. Like, the police are always, like, they could get us in trouble too. And yeah. So those were some reasons that they they explained why they um, just let them be outside. And then, um, once the police arrested them, my mom kind of went up to them and started asking questions, like, did they actually do anything that, like, like, I guess she was trying to kind of, like, poke at them and be like, are you serious, like, are are they actually threatening anybody, like, why, why are you taking these people in? She, like, was like, I'm worried that too many black people are getting incarcerated for no reason, like are you sure that you need to arrest them, like, kind of asking them questions, and they said, oh, yeah, they did something bad, um, and then, uh, that was pretty much what they knew. Um, we just found out what actually, like, happened before that, um, because it was, it just got, like, posted online, um, in, like, neighborhood, whatever. So, apparently, they, um, went broke into the school that's a block from our house, elementary school my sister used to go to, and, um, were taking stuff, and then that's why the police were chasing them, um, but, yeah, it was just a big thing, because, um, yeah, the University of Chicago Police is doing what they do best, which is harassing black people, and they're these young people, they're, um, they said they looked like maybe 15 years old, right? And we didn't know why, and we were scared that someone was going to get really badly hurt, because that's what happens a lot of the time. And, um, and I wasn't there, so I don't know how I would have reacted, because I was in my bed. But, um, it was interesting, too, after we found out, like, what happened, people were a little bit less sympathetic. Like, once they were like, oh, they actually, like, took stuff, um, people were like, oh, well, like, they did take stuff, like, I guess it makes sense that the police were chasing them, but then someone else who, um, in our house who, like, is a counselor in Chicago high schools was like, well, that's a way that a lot of people make fast money, because, like, there aren't a lot of other options besides, like, stealing things and selling them. Also, I don't, what do you think about this? Why, why does a private university get to have a police force that arrests kids that are stealing things in a public school. Oh, yeah, no, the, the, in the vicinity under- of the university. I don't get it. I don't understand how the UC is, like, allowed to have that, because with, with the Chicago Police Department, like, we elect the mayor, who then has oversight over the police department. So there's, like, some sort of, like, idea that the people have the opportunity to have some influence over that don't really 
but there's a concept there. This is, like, private people, private money policing everybody. None of us have any voting power. It's ridiculous. And it does- I don't understand how it's legal. It's just a private army. Like, I don't- Right! Yes. But anyway, so that, like, was a big deal. And I hope that they are, uh, okay. But probably not the most okay right now. But you know what? It's okay because they're keeping us safe. Because we know that- oh, by the way, officers had their guns drawn coming into our backyard. So- jeez. Of course, I'm not, like- I'm about to center not those not those teenagers and they are like this is something that impacted them the most negatively they should be centered and also if you're going to claim that you're protecting people in Hyde Park you cannot come into their backyards with your guns drawn like like that's not that I don't I would feel much safer knowing that people took some stuff from a school and got away with it than knowing that the black people in so, my household so, were confronted by armed officers this morning. Yeah, sir. Just to just to re-clarify for my own self, like the these kids were like the the police believed that they had stolen something from a school, not like from a direct person, but just from from a school. Is this true? Like it was just from yeah. It was just stuff in it a school. It was reported like, as a burglary and vandalism. So nonviolent and running away. Yeah, and they chased them, like, um, far-ish. Like, we live... So they chased them and drew their weapons on kids who were running away after having committed nonviolent crimes. Um, as far as we know, that's what happened. That's, yeah, I mean, that's ridiculous. That's not... I also just, like, feel the need to reiterate that, like, um, the non-criminal act of wage theft is... Um, accounts for more theft uh, uh, than any any other type of theft combined. So, I just like I I'm, I'm just going to start throwing that in there on any on any discussion of theft. I mean, it's like, important just to, to win, yeah. Yeah, like 16 billion dollars just from minimum wage uh, minimum wage uh, violations, which is not a criminal violation, but they just have to pay it back if they get caught and nothing if they don't get caught. Can you explain what wage theft is, like, in three examples for people who are, uh, for our 32 listeners? Like, not, not paying out enough benefits, not paying um, overtime, not paying um, hazard pay, uh, um, not paying for all of the hours that you actually work, um, not giving people breaks. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's like a tens of billions of dollar theft that is not criminal, but affects the most marginalized communities, the most at risk communities, because they can't fight it. Wonder how many times you Chicago's done that to its hourly workers, you know? The economic impact of the University of Chicago on its surrounding, like, communities is so much greater than the communities on the University of Chicago. I have a related question that I want to know your thoughts on, and it's related to my work in Palestine, and I do have an opinion on it, but I want to just present it to the group to see what you think. Okay, so yeah, so I'm trying to paint this picture for people who have never been around New Chicago. So there's people who are standing on the sidewalks. These are probably steady jobs for young black people who live in the surrounding Chicago area that's been, that is being displaced by University of Chicago. So if they take funding away from the police force, like we as a group, I think agree they should do from U Chicago. And those are the first jobs that are affected. um, What do you think about that? And the reason I'm getting this is from in Palestine, um, when we, like my movement, the people that I work, ask to divest from Israeli companies that work in settlements a lot of times let's say sabra hummus the people who are working in the actual who they it's sabra hummus has its company on a settlement that's taken palestinian land it's an illegal settlement it runs this whole company there and a lot of times it employs palestinians and so some people will say well you can't you're hurting palestinians by taking that that company and saying it can't be in a settlement because there are jobs for palestinians that are going to be lost as a result of this. So I have an opinion on this. 
feel like that does it all the time. But it's very complex. Yeah, but I also, I I, I got to it in a complex way, even though I'm sure you can guess what my opinion is. And I want us to kind of like talk that out if you're willing to talk it out. This came up at the MCA when we were talking about the policing there is that a lot of the security in the MCA um, is people of color and like a significant portion of the like other than part-time workers um, and like the education staff like a significant portion of the MCA's workforce that is people of color is their security. They're all connected and it's a it's it's an argument that's used in divesting or defunding campaigns it's an argument that's used against those things all the time so what's our rebuttal call them on it i mean like if they're going to do that that's them making that decision that's not like the protesters decision that is if the university of chicago is going to do that like to to lay off the um workers of color then like that's the university of chicago making that decision they're going to try and pin it on the people who called for defunding the police, but you have to make sure that like you pin it to them. You say, no, this is not what we asked for. This is clearly like twisting what we asked for. Um, and so like in Palestine, when you ask for divestment, the goal of course is like about an economic impact on the con- on the company and to get out of settlements. But their reaction is then to harm the people who are already being harmed. Um, and you just have to, we have to be very vigilant to make sure we like uplift that and say like, maybe not uplift, but like uh, keep that in the spotlight and say, this is what they've chosen to do. This is them choosing to hurt people more. And why are they choosing to do that? Because they're unwilling to actually um, move in, in ways that are benefiting the community because they don't care about the community. And these are all, I mean, well, for the University of Chicago, I guess this is a bit of a hypothetical, but for, I mean, like, also, the larger I, discussion. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't think like... it is hypothetical, because immediately I thought the first, way, the first wave of people that they will stop is not the people who drive around in the cars, it's the people who stand on the street. And those are two different colors of people, and I'm sure different incomes. But that's, uh, but I think what Dan's... Like, that isn't a hypothetical, and, like, yes, that is a thing that they will do, but it is a hypothetical in the sense that, like, the university can choose to not lay off those people. Like, it, it, maybe hypothetical isn't the right word, just, just like, it's, a, it's not a given. It's a choice, right? I also think that people tend to use that sort of argument of, and, and, and more generally, the argument of, like, oh, but this act, like, this part of this much larger, like, action and process will hurt a group of people. That, again, it's, like, that's also a choice, but, like, I mean, people talk about defunding the police, and they're, like, but then what will those people do? Like, they won't have jobs, as if, like, or, I don't know, in general, talking about when you're, when you're deconstructing systems of oppression, as if that doesn't, isn't also coupled with, like, reinvestment in those communities, and, like, it's not it's 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 destroying the system of oppression and it's being constructive in other ways at the same time like so when you just talk about or people talk about prison abolition as if it's just like you snap your fingers and all the buildings disappear and it's like oh then you have all these people and what do you do with them right as if like that's a thing that could happen in the first place but like i feel like that sort of argument of acting as though you just snap your fingers and the money's gone or you snap your fingers and like all these people have no jobs like is a really short like it's a very short-sighted view of a problem, and I think it's very often used to like destabilize a, a much larger movement that often relies on like when you talk about police or, or prison abolition, especially or demilitarizing the way those require just like complete societal transformations, and then you're just reducing it to just like slashing a budget. Like you're just not like you're just not recognizing the there people are like oh it's it's so complex you aren't realizing how complex it is you aren't realizing how complex the solution is. Like you're just minimizing it. One thing that's really frustrating to me is like how how complex solutions have to be just because like the most greedy wealthy people refuse to do anything good like you know the the one one Twitter account that has Jeff Bezos ended world hunger because he could at any time and he has not and that's like a very simple solution it doesn't have to be complicated if people were just like actually willing to put money into good places but whatever sorry well i think it would be it would be complicated to end world hunger but one of the complications is not lack of money yes i think that's what that twitter account is saying 
like it would be complicated to end homelessness, but one of those complications is not lack of housing. It would be complicated to end world hunger, but one of those complications is not lack of food. My, the first place my mind goes actually isn't there with this discussion. The first place my mind goes is why are those the good jobs for people of color or for poor people? Like, why is security, why is policing, why is the military? We've had this conversation in the Prius. Like, why is, like, upholding state violence the only job that people can get good pay for without, like, going to, like, a fancy university? Oh, (laughs) yeah, yeah, when I talked about, yeah, and, like, I have so many people that went to, into the military because that's how they could afford an education where I was, where I grew up. That shouldn't be a price that anyone has to pay. (laughs) Well, it's a, yeah, it's an evil trade-off. And the other thing about, like, the security jobs is, like, like, with the police department, you can, like, stay, you get pay raise, you get promoted, and in those jobs, like, I don't think there's really any opportunities for you to get, like, it's, it's, there's a lot of minimum wage jobs, um, I mean, I know I'm stating the obvious, but it's not as obvious for me because, um, I don't, uh, have the experience of, like, um, those being, like, my options or my parents' options, um, but to me, this is something I'm learning, which is that, like, for a lot of minimum wage jobs, there's no, like, opportunities to, like, get a pay raise after you, like, are there for a while or to get sick days or, like, all these things, so you're there, and then it's not, like, then you're just there, and then, like, uh, you might be, like, working towards, like, going to school or something like that, but, um, it makes it hard to, like, ha- like, try to, uh, aspire to something different or, like, um, I don't know. That just, it just feels like that could be a way to get stuck. And it's also, though, you need to do things like that so you can eat. <laughs> I forgot. I had a thing I wanted to talk about and then I forgot about it and then I remembered it. Um, I'm going to introduce it now. Um, I have heard now twice, once from a white person and once from a non-white person, reasons why, like an argument why white people specifically should vote. And the argument, and it made me realize, and that actually challenged me. That made me think a lot. I now, I don't know. I don't know. I would think I was pretty solidly in the I'm not going to vote camp. And now I'm in the like, I don't know. This is hard. This is why we're making a podcast about it that has 32 listeners. Um, but the argument was sort of like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to find like better resources. This is on people's like Instagram stories. So it's like hard to, hard to cite that. But um, so I'm going to try to find like better resources so I can like do it a little more justice eventually maybe. But the idea was basically like people of color and especially black people, and especially indigenous people, um, not that those things are, like, necessarily exclusive from each other, like, don't have any obligation to vote because it, like, like, they shouldn't be forced to, like, participate in a system that they didn't create and that oppresses them, like, fundamentally. And that, that whole idea of, like, it's not harm reduction for, like, at the beginning that I introduced this, like, uh, that, yeah. like, voting isn't harm reduction because certain people are harmed no matter what and, like, not just neutrally, like, conti- are just, like, actively people, like, take de- make decisions that make things worse for them. Um, like, that was written by a Native person, and I sort of realized as I was, like, and the, the, the people on Instagram that I was looking at were saying basically, like, white people created this awful voting system and, like, therefore you don't get to opt out of it. Like, yeah, you white people don't get to opt out of voting because you white people, like, made voting and made it the horrible thing that it is. And so, like, you don't you don't get to, like, abstain from it because, like, even though it, it like, because whatever decision you make, I mean, it, there are certain demographics in which it will hurt you, but, like, not voting will never hurt you as much as, it like, the decisions that those people make doesn't hurt, like, hurts other people. And that was interesting. It made me realize mm-hmm. that, like, a lot of the things that I've been referencing, I think, are really, are really legitimate reasons to not vote. And then I also realized that, like, I had been approaching those and sort of, like, centering myself in those things when ultimately a lot of those, like, those particular things were written by, like, Black and Indigenous folks, like, for, I mean, really for those people. And, like, even though I think those are legitimate reasons to not vote, I don't know that those reasons still hold up if you're white. I 
feel you have said something that I've tried, I, I've been thinking and not known how to say. And kind of this is what Rob said, Dan, when I, when we were like, come on our podcast. And he was kind of like, I don't think white people should say that they are not voting. <laughs> and um, so it would be great if uh, Rob was here. But um, yes, I love what you just said. I don't know. I feel like I started like, like I feel like throughout this I've been very defensive of not voting and I think I will continue to be defensive of people's right to not vote. I guess that's maybe also a distinction that I feel like I need to be more conscious of making is like your decision to not vote as a white person versus your decision to not vote as a person of color mm -hmm. and like those are two different things and like yeah the system has been set up for white people to be able to vote um and to make it harder for everybody else to vote and it is also supposed to make white people comfortable and the entire system has been designed to make it easier for white people to vote um at the expense of everybody else um so i i guess that's a, that's a really interesting thought process uh really interesting point um that it then becomes like a responsibility for white people to vote as opposed to people of color to vote. Yeah, I feel like it, it, at the very least it's that it doesn't mean the same thing to opt out, I think is what you're saying. I don't know if you were saying that it's your responsibility to vote, Ari. I think that's what some of these people were saying, but I think mm. I definitely agree that it means something different to opt out. I'm not totally sure I'm at the point yet where I'm like, if you're white, it's your responsibility to vote. Like I'm, I'm, I'm making that distinction also. I, I'm not sure I'm on that train of, like, if you're white, it's your responsibility to vote, which I think w one of the two people that I saw was was really clear. That was basically, like, if you're white, you're obligated to vote. Which I'm not I, – I don't know if I'm quite there. I don't know if I want to get there. But – Here's one thing. Here's how I might call it a responsibility. Even if – whether you choose to vote or choose not to vote, it is your responsibility – to choose like it can't be something yeah. passive like if you are choosing not to vote that has to be a choice you're making it cannot be like eh, i didn't really feel like it i didn't want to do any research on it i didn't want to look it up i didn't and maybe that's the mm -hmm. difference also we should be really i feel like i need to be very careful in my language here because like it's because it, it does like it does matter like that the distinction even the words that i'm saying matter even when they sound similar i think that's also the distinction between an obligation and a responsibility and that like it is your mm -hmm. definitely if you're a white person is your responsibility to vote or not vote like and i think it's probably your responsibility to vote but i don't know that but a responsibility is also different than an obligation Because I also don't think when I think it's a, when it when you say like it's your responsibility to vote, like sorry I know I'm talking a lot and I'll you know but uh, it's like w saying it's your responsibility to vote also means as much as you can't or like I don't I don't think you're taking responsibility if you're just like oh I don't really want to research the candidates I'm just gonna stay home I also don't think you're taking res your responsibility if you're like oh I don't really want to research the candidates I've always voted Democrat so that's what I'm gonna do now right. Yeah, which people sure. definitely also do. Like, um, frankly, I feel like most people do that with every position that isn't the president. Sometimes with the presidency, but also with every position that isn't the presidency, because you get to vote for a lot of people, and I don't think people research almost any of those candidates, even though they all they represent them at frankly a much more personal level. Um, so I so I also think that doing that is if you're just doing that, if you're just like, oh, I've always voted Democrat, so I'm just going to like check off all these boxes. That's also not taking responsibility either. I, one of the things that I've reflected on, I had two thoughts. Let's see if I remember both of them. One of the things I've reflected on as we've like gone back and listened to these conversations, which is such a gift to have, you know, like us to see us grow and stuff, is I've been like, wow, like we're all experiencing this very differently, right? But then it's so fun to come and talk about it. And I think like specifically you and me, Ari, I've been like, oh, we're experiencing this so differently. And it's so interesting. And like, I'm just trying so hard to see Ari's perspective. And I feel like you're, per what I've heard you say about the people you know who don't vote are people who are like, I have done so much work. I am doing this so intentionally. I am doing this because of my values. I am like super cool. And I am like, I would love to meet those people because our Dan and my experience of people who don't, who don't vote are people who are like, I didn't 
care. I don't know anyone. I don't know the name of the vice president. I have never registered to vote. And I, like, I I didn't say yes when they asked me when I got my license if I wanted to register to vote. I said no, because I don't care. <laughs> and so we're using the same words, people who don't vote, to describe polar opposite people. <laughs> and I'm always, like, cheering in the background for the people who are so intentional that you're talking about that are like, this is because my values and I'm consciously doing that. And I feel like that has to do with responsibility. That might be why Dan used that word initially. Like we're talking about responsible people who are like using their actions to try and better the world. But the experience Dan and I have had with our peers might be different from your peers or at least the peers you're following online. Our experience with people who don't just vote all blue or all red, they just don't vote. Like most people that I grew up with I bet if I, like, talked to all the people in my wedding, I bet most of them didn't vote in most of the elections they could have voted in. Is that wrong, Dan? Uh, and when I say don't vote, they did it because they don't have any, like, it's it's an inaction. Yeah, well, so presidential? I don't know. Maybe they did. Um, but for anything other, anything other than presidential, I would guess very few of them voted uh in anything other than like the presidential but for sure they've never paid attention to a to a judicial (laughs) yeah so the 20 closest people to us in our life i think they probably were like "Mm, i don't care and i found out that one of my like like, i did not know some of them for sure did some some of them, but I would say the majority probably didn't of the yeah, 20 the closest people to us. <laughs> and so that's why I think there's been a lot of this con- long, long conversation where we've been saying the same thing, but we're talking about polar opposite groups of people. And I just always want to be clear that I'm like so down for the people you're following on Instagram who are like, I care so much about this that I'm making an intentional choice. And I'm just like so sad to find out that someone voted for like i just found my friend she listened to the podcast so she knows i'm calling her out right now told me who she voted for in 2016 and we both couldn't even believe who she voted for it was just wild have i lost the internet again no did she vote for trump or did she i'm not telling i'm I'm not saying anything more but but it was just like a in retrospect she wouldn't have done that and it just was uh whoa like whoa people who are like my closest like I would die I would stand and die for them like we just really have different understandings of our political um like responsibility to the world and so uh that's my context I just want to reiterate that because I feel like I never want to come across as dissing or patronizing anyone who's like intentionally deciding to not vote especially you Ari if you decide to not vote I will be like I get so much why you decided to do that and it's okay if we do different things I'm glad you made that distinction because I also because I I also I think have been realizing when I've been like I feel like every time I end this and I'm like ah I feel like we're like saying the same thing but we're also saying different things and I I think I've been feeling a lot of the same dissonance that you are um and I think I do have to realize that like I think pretty much I sometimes forget I think how different our like our backgrounds are and our experiences are probably because we like actually because we get along well and I'm like and just um wait this is an Ari and Addy therapy session for a second I also Ari I was thinking of you the whole time I was in Pennsylvania because I was also like Julia and Ari have like no idea where I grew up like I counted more than a hundred Trump signs when I was there and I stayed within like six miles and so you don't you don't know you don't know what I've been through. I don't. No, <laughs> you don't brief. have the same yeah. life experience. But I love you so much. And like whenever we feel this dissonance, I want to be like, but we are together. <laughs> and so I think it's just great that we I do like admire us for having this conversation where we are like super different. And I'm so honored that you are where you are when you're 18. Cause I if you had met me, I hope that you would have stuck with me when I was 18. Cause I wasn't as far or as like I wasn't there (laughs) where you are and I hope that you would have if you met me when I was 18 that you would have loved me just as much as you love me right now because I really didn't know I didn't know (laughs) when I think about the people I know who don't vote I know one person in my high school who like very openly didn't vote because he was like just kind of a jerk who was like I don't really care 
I like I just don't really want to. My teacher got really mad at him one time. That's this was in twenty sixteen. Um, there and then I know like a couple other people who don't vote and who openly don't vote. But those are all those people that I've described. And like I don't think I can think of other people, and certainly not like people that I love and respect in my life, who like unconsciously don't vote. Mm. Unconscious isn't the right word there, but like irresponsibly don't vote. I'm always hearing about how young people don't vote, and I'm like, really? Because a lot of my peers vote. Like, that doesn't mean that they look up their judges. Like, I definitely um, had to, like, I think kind of, I definitely had to explain to my boyfriend who his state senator was in the last election, like, on the day of the election. I was like, hey, like, do you know, like, your reps and he was like i'm voting for this one thing and i was like well maybe you should vote for these other things too here's all of your rep information is this the, boy- the previous episode that in the yeah. show notes you hilariously said you're person <laughs> who i've been with since we've been adults um yeah anyway we like both voted for our first time last march and um i think he was going to vote either way but i like knew more about his representatives for his like really local stuff than he did because <laughs> we live like five miles apart and and i was like wow like i don't know it, i just it, it i don't know what would have been different if like we hadn't talked about it but i also like i i also know that like engaging with politics like there's a lot of reasons why people don't do it um even like not even the reasons we just talked about but also just like it takes a lot of time and not time is money in our society and so like not everyone is able to invest time in it or maybe they just don't trust the system or maybe they just don't believe in it or like i don't know it's a lot of reasons and i know i tend to um feel like oh like i care so much i'm like doing so much like i'm you know whatever um but also I don't really want to, I just don't really want to diss anybody, because, like, well, I mean, I think there's a reason that people view it as, like, this huge tedium, and I think that's partially because it was set up to be a huge tedium, like, people don't want to, like, I think people in power don't want, like, people to really pay that much attention to down ballot, Democracy should be more accessible and easier, like... It's really complicated. People are very overwhelmed with a lot of things at all times. Um, people are always too stressed to think about like these larger ideas, and like that is that is a a true true fact, and that's also something that like happens intentionally to keep people from like revolting. You keep them either fat and happy, or you keep them like busy. And if they have to worry about where they're getting their food, then they're not going to be able to worry about their state senators even if those things are intrinsically tied. I think there's a lot of, um, yeah, there's a lot of fatigue in, in why people choose, like, don't vote. Um, because it's complicated. It's really complicated to get information on that. But my second um, thing from long ago that I just remembered, um, was like about the, what you just said, Julia, you don't want to diss anybody. I think it's really, I have experienced people as, finding it difficult that if if you adamantly do something that you don't also prescribe that onto somebody else so for example when I was in college <laughs> I did not drink very much and that was a decision I made about myself um, but continuously regardless of my behavior or my like participation in every other activity and my not saying anything negative about drinking the fact that I was not drinking always made other people feel like I thought that they were bad for drinking <laughs> and it was like a continuous struggle I had throughout college where I was like not participating in something but in no way did I want anyone else to do what I was doing I just made a decision for myself but because I was around other people not that weren't doing the same thing as me they felt bad and I think that has to do with shame like we have a shameful culture where a lot of times people who are abstaining from things are also shaming people. And so if you see someone abstaining from something, you think that shame goes along with that. And that is, that's how movements, like maybe not good ones happen, like with masks, people shame people into wearing masks and people definitely shame people into voting. 
So I think it's really hard for people to separate if you see someone abstaining from something or taking an action that they think is right for themselves. It's rare to see that person also not evangelizing their actions to other people. So I would just say, like, for me, myself, and I, I plan to vote for Joe Biden, and I do not think anyone else needs to do that. Um, except for maybe Dan, but also he can do his own thing. <laughs> but I, I would, I would be surprised if we came out of the the ballot box and he did not do that. I would be surprised and hurt that he hadn't told me he was changing his mind. Um, but so, I just want to say, like sometimes there are things that we're going to be like, everybody should do this. Like everyone should be not racist. <laughs> um, but I think to be clear for my own self, if I say that I'm going to vote at the end of this. Um, that is not what I'm prescribing to other people. And that's rare, I think. We don't talk about having different roles within a movement. But that's essentially what Ari was saying, is like, we might have a different role as a white person. I do want to... I just... I'm, I appreciate you saying it that way, because I just want to say that I know that as a person, I often uh, do be high and mighty about things. And so I want to say that... <laughs> I am not judging anybody who makes a different choice from me here. Like, yeah, that's... I just want to emphasize that voting is so, like, important to the system we live in. We can argue about whether or not we should overthrow the entire system. And, you know, our opinion is that we should. But um, the system we currently live in, the reality of the time we're in, is that, like, we need to... We should be voting. It's really important to make sure that representatives hear our voice. And to do that, we need to vote. Or, I think you the, know, protest every the, day. Well, again, the point of this podcast, the po- podcast is not, please don't make me vote, period. It is, please don't make me vote for Joe Biden, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're talking about a very specific candidate in a very specific context. Um, this is true. Not about voting in general. And even most of the people that I talk to who don't vote also do advocate for voting in like local elections and things like that. They don't advocate for voting in a presidential election or for, for a president. Wait, can can I say one thing about ballot boxes? Y'all, if you can, any any listener, anybody currently in this podcast, vote by mail and make sure you mail your ballot well before the election day, like October 23rd. It should be the last day you send that out because you want it to be counted like on election day, by election day, okay? Maybe even October 13th, as early as you can. And if you can get a mail-in ballot, you should get a mail-in ballot because we'll give you more time to look at it because there are going to be more names on there than you're expecting if you've never voted before. This podcast is recorded on Ohlone and Potawatomi and Miami and Peoria land. Our producer is Sonia Berg. Want to support them? Look in the episode description to buy them a cup of coffee. Our logo is made by Julia's sister, Sophia. She is 12 and a Democrat who doesn't agree with everything the Democrats stand for. Our theme song is by some TikTok users that I cannot pronounce, but they will be listed in our episode description.